Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you all here today after surviving another cold Melbourne week. We've done, um, in the past two weeks, two parts of our trilogy on the Trinity. So today is part three. Looking at, uh, we've looked at how God is three, but how God is so uh, united that we it's three in one. So we looked at the Trinity, the idea of the plurality of God, and then we looked at the unity of God. And today I want to focus on the Holy Spirit, who I think is one of the most misunderstood um, person of the Trinity. So first off, I want to start by saying the Holy Spirit has many names. And to be fair, God has many names. For example, uh, Jesus, God the Son, is called many things. Lamb of God, he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, he's called the Day Star, also called the Morning Star, the Cornerstone, the Vine, Light of the wor uh, World, and the Word. And so I want to just show that, because I think a lot of times I think the, we think of the Holy Spirit in metaphors, but Jesus is also called by many metaphors, and we kind of forget that. And God the Father is also called by many metaphors, such as the rock or um, the fortress, for example. So here are some of the um, names of the Holy Spirit. I won't go through all of them. Uh, there are references there. But some of the common ones that we hear are the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Truth. Um, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Helper or the Advocate, Comforter. He does get compared to water, fire, like a dove. And the wind. So those are some of the things you might have heard before about the Holy Spirit. And I guess the reason why I wanted to kind of emphasize um, the names is because a lot of times people, because of the metaphors, think of the Holy Spirit as like an essence or an energy um, or thing. But when you read how the Holy Spirit, a spirit is described um, and how he interacts with people, you realize that he has, he is a person. Um, with a distinct mind and heart, the Holy Spirit gets gets upset, gets grieved, has emotions, um, and has a mind. So, for example, the first century Christian missionary Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, and he said in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So here is the Holy Spirit who is praying for us and and is praying in accordance to God, God the Father. And I love how the entire Trinity is working together on our behalf. Here's another passage that shows that the Holy Spirit is not just this energy or breath force from God. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira who want to look good to the church. So they make this donation, but they lie about the amount of donation. And when Peter um, confronts them about this, he says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't that money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So Peter, here Peter is saying, you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. So um, it clarifies once again, and we looked at passages last week about how uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all divine, eternal uh, God. 
But here, Peter is once again saying, hey, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And so you don't really lie to an essence or a breath or a force, uh, you, but you do lie to people, individuals, um, someone who has a mind, someone who has feelings. Later in the same book, Dr. Luke records in Acts 13, now in the church at Antioch, there are prophets and teachers, and he lists them. And he says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Now, I don't think we often realize the Holy Spirit speaks, you know. Um, and so I just wanted to show you there are other examples, but here's one. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And throughout the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit um, Sending people, you know, blessing people, challenging people, moving people from place to place, um, inspiring individuals. And when Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit, um, he spoke about him quite a lot, especially right before he died and resurrected. And this is what he has to say about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. So he's, he's saying, hey, I've been here helping you. God is going to send you another helper to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, remember last time we talked about how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is not one plus one plus one, because that's three, right? But how it's one times one times one. And how each of them, when they're t because each one is so similar to the other in character and mission and purpose, that the three of them together are just more of the one. And when you see passages, which I'm going to read a few more, Jesus is really emphasizing this fact that God the Father sends Jesus to represent himself. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to represent himself. The Holy Spirit speaks about Jesus. The three of them are always testifying of each other, which ultimately is all God and is uh, all the same. And so here's that other verse, 14 verse 26. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. But then you see the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. He goes on to say in chapter 16, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So I'm, once again, I'm, I'm reiterating, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all testifying and glorifying each other. Because we looked last time at how God is love. And how God has been loved from the beginning, even before humanity was created. And the only way that God can be loved is if there was another being to love. And so the three have been loving each other, humbly, humbly putting the other ahead of um, oneself and prioritizing the other. So you see that example here, 
where the spirit doesn't talk of himself. He talks about Jesus. Jesus talks not about himself, but about the father. And the father sends the Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so all three, when you get one, you get all three. And I guess that's the beauty of what Jesus is um, presenting to disciples. John chapter 16, verses 7 to 11, he says, It's good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. But now Jesus is saying, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, who is not God with us, he's God in us. So there's a greater level of intimacy that we get to experience with God through the Holy Spirit. He is that voice in our head that urges us towards God and life and truth. He's that mystery in our hearts that yearns for more than what life is offering us. He's the one that melts the heart of stone and transforms people into the image of God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works quietly, like rain falling on the ground and softening it little by little. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is like the wind, invisible, but you can feel and see the aftermath. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is like a fire, burning in our hearts and making us wonder if we have just been with God. You know, as a pastor, there are lots of things I can do. I can preach. I can give Bible studies. I can, I can, you know, um, spend time with people. I can visit. But I cannot convince someone to believe in God. That's something that only the Holy Spirit can do. Only the Holy Spirit can convict someone of truth. It's the same sermon preached to the same group of people, right? And not everyone is going to respond in the same way. You know, there's um, a couple in France that I spent a lot of time with when I was there a lifetime ago when I was young. And um, my my friends, um, Albert and Nicole, they were this incredible couple that I, I just, they completely inspired me. And Albert had been uh, an atheist, but he had this he had an, uh, an experience where he read through the Bible to prove the Bible wrong and ended up becoming a Christian. Um, and he and his wife Nicole, they when they became Christian, they they really felt the Holy Spirit convicting them to do something with their lives, something more than just the ordinary, get a job, make a living. And he was actually a very successful architect, but he really felt like God was calling him to do more for him. So he actually bought a chunk of mountain, <laughs> and I really do mean a chunk of mountain. Um, this is near Aix-en-Provence in France, um, in a, in a, in a near village called Sisterhon. And, um, they, he bought a, like, peak of the mountain. And because of the architect, he built a house with many rooms, and he got a degree in organic agriculture because he wanted to change his life from, he was so busy, you know, relentless pursuit of wealth and everything that, the you know normal everyday modern person pursues right wealth happiness uh, financial security all that and he wanted to slow down his pace of life he wanted to wake up and and um, you know see the sunrise he wanted to see the stars at night and I tell you 
I have never in my entire life seen stars like that in my life, being up there in that mountain with no light pollution. And you look up and it's just incredible. And he wanted to um, see the fruit of the ground. He wanted to spend time in nature. So he had this house with about 15 rooms and they would house people from all over. Somehow people would find out about this family that was willing to just house you. So they had runaways, they had people who were sick, um, they had people who just wanted a break from the modern pace of life. And one, one year, Nicole kept track of how many visitors they had. 300 people in one year that they showed hospitality to. Sometimes for days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. And there was one season of their time for about two or three years, the local council um, was trying out a new program where instead of sending convicts to prison, they would send them to Albert and Nicole. And um, the, the, uh, they would work in their farm instead of, you know, just being in jail. And they, they were trying out this new program. So they sent, you know, uh, about eight um, prisoners to them. They were upstairs. Albert and uh, his wife and their three kids were downstairs. And, um, yeah, they were trying this out and living life and doing their thing. And one day Albert um, had a, a lady over and he was giving her Bible studies. And he was reading different passages. And one of the passages he read was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So he had the Bible study with her. You know, she 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 went through it and then she left. And then a few hours later, Albert um, was going around passing out meals to um, the prisoners who were staying with him. And in one of the rooms, he, he knocked and he went in and, you know, they weren't locked up. He went in and he was um, giving the tray of food and the man grabbed him. And it startled him very much because this was one of the prisoners who was there for manslaughter. He was a young man. So it was one of the situations where um, very, very poor choices and uh, it had happened and, and here he was. And so this young man had grabbed him and, and he said it was actually like sun down. So it was dark. And so all of a sudden, you know, this young man grabs him and, and Albert is an older man. So he's a bit startled. And the young man just grabbed him. The tray fell to the floor and he said to Albert, with this intensity in his eyes, is it true? Is it true? And Albert's like, well, wait, what, what do you mean? He said, what you said, is it true? And Albert's like, what do you mean? What did I say? You know, I haven't seen you like all day. And he said, the window was open and I heard you say, whoever, whoever, whoever believes in God, will not perish but have eternal life. Is it true? And then Albert, you know, finally grasping what's happening, he said, oh, yeah, yes, yes, it's true. And the French word for whoever is quiconque. And he said, quiconque, whoever, even me? Even me? And Albert said, yes, quiconque, whoever, even you. And that young man, Right then and there, right? Broke into tears. And they prayed together. And he gave his heart to Jesus. And later became a pastor. And ended up marrying Albert's daughter. <laughs> um, and I met him. And I met him. Because I went in 2000 and 
oh goodness, when did I, 2004, um, I went. So 16 years ago, no, 20, 18 years ago. And um, when I met him, his, I, I didn't know this story. And so I had met his whole family, Albert's whole family. He has, he has two daughters, a son, and his daughters uh, were married, had kids. And so I would just hang out with their like 16-year-old, Albert's 16-year-old grandson. He and I used to be like buddies. And then later when Albert told me this story, he's a great storyteller, he told me this story and then was like, and that's, you know, and he told me who it was. And I was like, what? That's Benoit's dad? <laughs> he's like the most gentle, kind, like quiet guy. And then his son and son, Benoit, is just like him. And I was like, and he's the guy who was in your room, you know, there for manslaughter and, and incredible, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell this story because there are so many stories that I don't feel like I can tell that I've been a part of where, where, where in, in my work, I have seen time and time again, God work through the Holy Spirit where I've seen that light, you know, and, and there's no joy like it in the world. There is no greater joy than seeing the Holy Spirit turn that light on in someone when they realize God loves me. When they realize God cares about me and wants eternal life for me. And when that Holy Spirit works in someone's life like that, it has nothing to do with me or Roy or anyone else. I mean, of course, we participate in God's work, but it is the Holy Spirit. It is that person saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit convicting you of a truth? Have you ever experienced the Holy Spirit moving something in your heart where you know this isn't from you? You know that it's crazy for you to have this thought or to want to go to church on a dreary, rainy Melbourne day, right? Or to want to call out a friend that you haven't talked to in forever? Or prompting you to want to forgive someone that you really don't think deserves it? When you resist a temptation that has been so hard for you to resist. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't always get to see how. We can't always describe or explain, you know, the process, but we see the end result. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 say, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? We don't always get to see how it happens, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I don't know about you, but I want the fruit of the Spirit, right? I want to be free to be all that I was created to be. I love how in 2 Corinthians, whoops, I don't know what I did there, James. <laughs> um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, Paul writes, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. There we go. Thank you, James. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Did you catch that? Where there is Spirit, there is freedom. There is freedom from anxiety from guilt, from shame, from addictions, freedom from the relentlessness that is life. 
freedom from loneliness. So how can we be transformed by the Holy Spirit? So we, we, we know that the Holy Spirit is good. We know that having the Holy Spirit means that we can experience this kind of transformation. So how do we encounter and experience the Holy Spirit? Here it is. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 10, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the simple first step is just ask. How many times do we actually ask for the Holy Spirit? I tell you what, I don't always ask for the Holy Spirit. I forget, right? I, I pray for a lot of things, but I don't always ask for the Holy Spirit. But, but preparing for this sermon, I was reminded, oh, we're supposed to ask. In fact, when you look at the original Greek in this text, it doesn't just say ask once. The original Greek, a better translation is keep on asking. Don't stop knocking, right? Go on seeking. So Jesus is saying, don't ask once and be done with it, because that's not how the Holy Spirit works. Right? It's not like we just get God once and we're good. He says, ask every day. right? Ask constantly for the Holy Spirit. Why is it that we have to ask? Why doesn't God just come? Right? And the answer is because Jesus, God does not impose himself on us. Over and over again in Scripture, Whenever people say, God, I want nothing to do with you, he respects that and he steps back. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't just come in and barge in, right? I don't know if you have people like that in your life. I have, I have a few friends who, um, who, who just come in and they like, they're like, I'm staying for dinner. And I'm like, great, I have to figure out what to feed you. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus says, hey, he is, after all, Middle Eastern, right? He's got that culture. He's like, hey, I'm going to stand and knock. And if you want me to come in, invite me in. You invite me in, I will be happy to eat with you, right? I'll be happy to, to take that relationship to the next level. He says, but you have to ask because I'm not going to just barge in. He gives us free will, which is an incredible thing of him to do. But he gives us that freedom to choose how much of God we actually want. Are we going to, you know, and I sometimes do this when my house is messy. <laughs> I open the door and I just talk to them at the door because I'm like, I am not letting you in to see the mess upstairs, right? But how much intimacy can you build at the door? What would happen if we actually opened the door and invited people in, invited God in, the kind of level of friendship uh, that we get to build? And the question is, do we want that? Just like I've got my messy upstairs with all the toys and Legos and I don't want them to come in, Sometimes we don't want God to actually come in to see the mess in our hearts. So we're quite happy to yell out through the people, God, can you help me with this one aspect of my life? But don't look at everything else. right? And God, I'm quite happy for you to help me with this, but don't touch anything else. Because to be honest with you, we're quite comfortable with our lives. We actually don't want God to come and change our priorities. 
we don't want God to come and call us into a new thing that scares us, right? We we are quite content with our choices. And so when God says, "Ask," he's he's he was getting us to really discover: Do we want God? How much do we really want Him? Do we just want Him whenever we need Him, or are we willing to keep on asking because we are willing to keep on obeying? We are willing to keep on opening more of our hearts and our lives to Him. What would happen if we really followed God? A lot of times we're afraid, so we stay at the shallow end of our spiritual journey, right? We don't really actually want the Holy Spirit to shake us up. Because then we might have to give something up we don't want to give up, or we might have to make choices we don't really want to make. God says, if you obey, you actually get to experience God more. If you've ever felt like you're spiritually dead or stagnant, could it be that you've been holding back? It's not that God's holding back; you've been holding back. But once you open the door and you let God in, He can do so much more. Acts chapter five, verse thirty-two: We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. The more we say yes to God, the more He can do with us and for us and in us. You know, I love my children no matter what they do. But when they obey me, I can do so much more for them, right? Not only because it allows me permission, right? But it also means that you know they're giving me time, they're giving me um, you know their their willingness to cooperate with me. And so, in the same way, God loves us no matter what, and He's always there for us. But when we are willing to follow Him, obey Him, then He gets super excited because then He can do so much more with us. Aren't you tired of staying at the shallow end of spirituality? Where you're not really experiencing the fullness of what God has to offer you, don't you want to go a little bit deeper? Ezekiel was a Jewish priest in the, born in the sixth century BC, and I feel for him because in his lifetime、um, he experienced a lot of loss. One of the things he lost was his country and his family. So、um, he lived during a turbulent time in Israel's history, where the Israelites had forsaken God. Didn't listen to the messengers and the prophets.、Um, just refused to have anything to do with God, and they were just pursuing their selfish interests. And messenger after messenger, you know, was sent by God to say, "Hey, Israel,、um, Babylon. There's some political things happening. Don't get caught up in it. Just, just, just pay your taxes and stay put, and you'll be fine." But Israel did not listen to God. Rebelled against Babylon, rebelled against, fought with Egypt. They just did everything the opposite of what God told them to do. And in the end, Nebuchadnezzar, the prince of Babylon, comes down in 605 BC and takes a bunch of、uh, royal family、uh, into exile. God says, "All right, just listen to Nebuchadnezzar, pay taxes, do your thing, you'll be all right." They don't. They rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar comes back in. 597 BC and takes now 10,000 plus skilled workers, young professionals, to Babylon. And one of those people was Ezekiel. He was 25 years old, and he was supposed to be training at the temple to be a priest. 
But now he's taken to Babylon, where there is no temple, where there, you know, where he can't do his job, where he can't learn and, and do what he felt he was called to do. But while Ezekiel is in Babylon in exile, God comes to him and changes the, his life calling and says, I want you to be my prophet, to share this message. And once again, the message is, Israel, just listen and don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Do you think they listened? Nope. They rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar again. Nebuchadnezzar is fed up now with Jerusalem. Comes for the third time in 587 BC. This time, he burns the city to the ground. He didn't quite mean to burn the temple down, but his soldiers did. Temples burnt down to the ground. Cities in ruins. And Nebuchadnezzar takes the entire people, except for like the really old and sick who can't travel. He takes everybody back to Babylon. So they have no country. They have no temple. They have no future, right? Everything. Can you imagine building, having your land, having your house, having your farm, having your business, your family, your kids, and then everything taken away? And it's to these people who have lost everything and are completely discouraged. And, And it's one thing to lose things through no fault of your own. But then now they're realizing, oh, man, we really should have listened. Like, this is completely our fault, right? And it's to this group of people that God gives a series of visions of hope. And I don't have the time to go through all of them. But later on, read Ezekiel 37, which is an incredible vision of a valley of dry bones that come to life. But the one that I want to go over is Ezekiel chapter 47. To Ezekiel, who has lost the temple, right? To, to a young man who, who was supposed to be a priest, God gives him this vision of a future temple. And this is the vision he sees. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gates facing east. And the water was trickling down the south side. So there's water trickling out from the temple. And then as the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, which is 530 meters, and then led me through the water that was now ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. Do you see what's happening here? He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but that was a river that I could not cross because the Water had risen and was so deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, Son of man, do you see this? He led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Jordan Valley, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh, Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fall. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruits will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. You see, God gave this vision to Ezekiel and to a people that had no hope, who had lost everything. And God says, hey, I am not only going to restore the temple to you, but you are going to experience something incredible that's going to start out like a trickle, but that's going to grow and grow and grow, and it's going to become something that's going to provide healing for the nations. 
And they did, God actually did bring them back to Jerusalem. They did rebuild the city. They did rebuild the temple. But that's not what this prophecy was about. This prophecy was about in AD 29, autumn time in Jerusalem. So 500 years after this prophecy was given. Israelites from far and wide had gathered at the temple. This is now the second temple that was rebuilt after the exile. And there's a man standing on those steps of that temple who stands up and says in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Ezekiel's vision was about this moment, when Jesus was saying, whoever believes in him, in me, the Holy Spirit is going to make you into a river. And everyone you come in contact with, believers and non-believers, are going to be blessed just because you're with them. Just because you have the Holy Spirit within you. And when Jesus died and resurrected, that trickle became deeper and deeper. And what began as just a handful of of followers of this man Jesus became thousands and hundreds and thousands and millions, right, and billions of followers of Jesus today, including you and I. Do you want to become that river of life today? Not only to be quenched ourselves, but to actually be people who, um, they call it people of peace, right? That when people are around you, they say, you know what, when I'm around you, I just, whew, I just feel at peace. When I'm with you, I just feel so heard. When I'm with you for some reason, I just feel more like life is in control. Paul wrote to Romans um, in chapter 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Famous preacher Dwight L. Moody was once asked, "Are Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Why, why do you keep talking about the Holy Spirit? Aren't you already filled with the Holy Spirit? And he looked at the journalist who asked him this question. And he said, yes, but I leak. And that's the reality, is that every day, the reason why we need a filling of the Holy Spirit every single day is because we leak. It's because we, we you know, living in a, in a world that is broken and living, let's admit it, all of us, With brokenness, we leak. And so God says, be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. And when you are filled, you will overflow that hope and that joy and that peace unto others. In the book of Revelation, the last chapter, we see the final fulfillment of that prophecy that Ezekiel was given. Revelation chapter 22 a man named John, who was a follower of Jesus, he receives this vision of the future temple when all things are restored. It says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life as, cris- as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. 
On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Eternal life is ours for the taking. Life of peace is ours for the having if we're willing to ask God every day and ask not just, you know, insincerely, but ask genuinely wanting the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God promises and guarantees, and I've seen it over and over and over again, that when we ask wanting, that God never, ever fails. He always fills us. And we get to experience such an abundant life that it will impact not just us and our family and our friends, but the community we live in. And it's my prayer that as we receive the Holy Spirit each and every day, that we can be a community that transforms Melbourne. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, I just want to thank you for the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for giving us this promise that whoever asks can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask now that you would fill us, that you would help us to step out in faith and open more of our hearts to you. And as we sing this uh, closing song, Father God, I just pray that each one of us here may say, may say a silent prayer just between us and you to say yes to experiencing more of you today. We pray in your son's name.